Amen. If you enjoyed that production this morning, say amen. It was awesome. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I pray that you do, open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we are in week 2 of our four-week series on Let Christmas Be Christmas. And I, I talked about this last week, so if you missed our introduction to this series, uh, you can go online on the app and you can find all of that on there. You can kind of catch up if you need to. Um, but I, I pray that so far this Christmas season, you have not allowed maybe some of the stresses or some of the things that have distracted away from the heart and the truth of Christmas to rob you of the joy of this season. Uh, I pray that you've endeavored to put your mind and your heart to the things of what Christmas is really about and allowed that to be an encouragement to you as you you've entered through this Christmas season. But as we said last week, there's lots of things that can distract uh, and take away. And, and one of the things we talked about last week is that, and it kind of was funny how it was talked about in the play, is that we love this time of year because we get to spend time with family and friends and dinners and celebrations. But if we're being honest, sometimes that same family, those same friends can also cause some stress, right? And some different things happen in conversations and you're like, oh, I'm not looking forward to uncle so-and-so, you know, and it can be a lot. And so what we talked about last week is go into it with the mindset of, I'm not going to allow these things to distract. I'm going to enjoy these things for what they are. Time with family and friends that are a great blessing. And so we choose to see the blessing in what we're going through, not to see the things that we could complain about. And I think as we do that, we'll, we'll avoid the Christmas crazies that we talked about last week, and we'll actually enjoy this time of year. And so Luke chapter 2 we're again looking at the kind of the text that we started with last week. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, in the seats around you, there are copies of God's Word there for you. If you would like to use one of those, if you're going to use one of the Bibles provided, you can actually just turn to page 716. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 716, Luke chapter 2. And I know we, we heard some of these same scriptures this morning, and so I'm excited to kind of walk through these with us quickly. And you guys know what it means when a Baptist preacher says quickly, right? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It means nothing. Luke chapter 2, let's look at verse 9. Again, Luke 2, verse 9. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 716. So verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. In the King James, it says, sore afraid. Another translation would say they were terrified. They were overwhelmed with fear. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all 
people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Here we read of the angels appearing to the shepherds and proclaiming the birth of Christ. The angel speaks a word of comfort not to be afraid, but rather to have great joy because the news he is delivering brings great joy. And it's not just good news for some people, it's good news for all people. And that's one of my favorite things about this passage is he says so clearly in the text, this is not just for you. This is good news and good tidings for all people. All of God's creation, all of humanity can rejoice in the coming of Christ because his salvation is offered to all who would believe. You don't have to check a certain box or do a certain thing. It's simple faith of believing and trusting in Christ. And that alone, simple salvation by faith through grace provides salvation to anyone who would believe. And it's good news for all peoples. And I absolutely love when you hear stories of missionaries that are working diligently in places all over the world. We support a missions agency known as Ethnos 360, or it used to be called New Tribes Missions. And they go into tribal unreached people groups, and they actually develop a written language for these people groups so that they can translate the word of God into that language and communicate the gospel to them. So much is being done that all people... Every tribe, every tongue, every language, according to Revelation, will come to Christ to some degree. And we are so excited to be a part of that proclaiming of the birth of Christ. This news that a Savior has been born is the best news that could ever be proclaimed. He is Lord. And He is Savior at His birth. When we declare the message of Christ's birth today, there are many different responses to that proclamation. Many different things are said in response to that. Sometimes we're met with kind of a a sort of a a kind, kind of a nice, oh, okay, that's nice for you. And it's not really what I believe. And, and sometimes we're met with more animosity. Sometimes there's, there's antagonism that's met with that. Sometimes there's mockery. Sometimes there's just simple skepticism and disbelief. Sometimes there's belief, but it doesn't really affect our daily lives. And sometimes when you proclaim the birth of Christ, People are overwhelmed with the joy of the good news and they rejoice in the coming Savior and their own salvation from sin. But as we talk about the birth of Christ, I believe there's kind of a couple areas of response I want to look at this morning. Again, this is not an exhaustive listing of all the responses we receive from the birth of Christ, the news of his coming. But I believe we can kind of summarize some basic things here with two responses that we hear and see both individually and collectively. And again, let me pause here and say, none of this is to say that, that I've got it all figured out, that anyone here has got it all figured out. We're all walking this road with Christ. I pray that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. Amen. There is only those who are Christians because they serve a perfect Savior. And so we don't come together this morning to celebrate us and our good deeds and our good jobs and our way to... No. We come to celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as you declare that message of Christ in the world today, again, there are two basic responses you may encounter. And I think these are illustrated in a couple examples in the New Testament. 
One would be the illustration of Herod and how he responds to the coming of Christ. Another example of a response would be how Simeon and Anna respond in the New Testament. And so let's first dive into the response of Herod. And so Matthew chapter 2, go over there with me. Matthew chapter 2, very first uh, book in our New Testament. And so Matthew chapter 2, just a few pages to your left. And we're going to read quite a bit of scripture here, verses 1 through 10. But I believe this gives us a good baseline to understand why Herod felt the way he felt at the news of Christ. And so again, we're looking at the responses to the coming news of Christ. How do we respond and how do others respond? So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, we're not going to dive into this, but in the Old Testament, there's prophecy and it speaks about a star that would lead to this Messiah. And so this is a fulfillment, again, of another Old Testament prophecy. How these wise men from the east, most likely some believe from the Babylonian region, how did they know anything about this? They're not Jews, they're Gentiles, they're non-Jews. Some have suggested that from the time that Israel was in captivity in Babylon for that just shy of 70 years, that their teachings, their writings, their understandings would have been communicated to the Babylonians just as the Babylonians communicated their science, their language, and their understanding to the captives from Israel. And so there's a chance that these wise men have knowledge of these things being passed down to them from those that heard it from the Jews in the time of the captivity. We don't know for sure. We also don't know how many wise men there were. We only know how many gifts they brought. And so here we see these men are traveling from the east. They're coming from afar because they've seen this star, and it's unique enough that they believe it's a fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus, the Son of God, will be born. And their revelation is limited, but still they're putting feet to what they know. And I absolutely love that. They don't have all the answers, but they're like, hey, we need to pursue this thing. Because if it is that, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. So we continue in the text. Verse 3. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, and thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he said unto them, or and he sent them rather to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they did rejoice with exceeding great joy. Why did they rejoice over a star appearing? Because they understood this is leading us to the Christ child. This is leading us to the Son of God. This is going to fulfill that prophecy. We're seeing it played out in front of us, and we have great joy because of who this one that is born will be. Herod's response is one that we find common in our human lives today. Uh, I think it's not really spoken to a whole lot, but I believe we can summarize some of what Herod went through. The first thing we have is, who is Herod? Why is he so important on the pages of Scripture? Well, this is Herod the Great. 
Uh, Some of the Jews called him that in mockery. Uh, He believed himself really to be great. He was appointed by Rome to rule over the Jewish people, and he reigned approximately 37 years. Now, Herod is not his first name. It's not his last name. It's really more of a title, a family title name to one who is ruling. You will read later in the New Testament with John the Baptist, who ends up being beheaded by Herod. That's a different Herod. That's one of this Herod's sons who takes over. His kingdom's kind of split. One rules in the north, one rules in the south. And that Herod didn't like that John the Baptist said that he had sinned, so he imprisoned him. And at the kind of request of someone that was entertaining Herod, he had John the Baptist beheaded. And so this Herod title is more of a ruling title. It's also important to note that he was appointed king of the Jews, not selected by the Jews or of royal birth in the Jewish line. Herod was a paranoid man, and that goes throughout all of writings about him. Uh, There were those that would rise and try to overthrow him as king, and he would not have it. The Jewish historian Josephus writes that Herod had his two sons, His wife, along with the captain of his guard, and a handful of others killed, including some rabbis, for fear they were plotting against him to take over. Actually, even in Israel, Herod built fortresses and places he never actually visited, but he wanted just in case someone rose up against him. Now, what does that tell us about Herod? It tells us that he was fearful of losing power and control. He was fearful of losing his power and his control, whether it be from a family member, whether it be from someone in the community, whether it be from some other region or nation, he was adamant that he would maintain control and power, absolute authority. And then he hears the news. The wise men say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Matthew 2 and verse 3 says that he was troubled. My literal translation of that is he was freaked out. He was freaking out because here's the key. He heard not a man who was appointed king of the Jews. What does he hear him say? Where is he that was born king of the Jews? What does that imply? This man has a royal lineage. He can trace back to David. And if he can trace back to David, then he's the true king. And I am not. Well, we can't have that. And so he gets all of his kind of scribes together and he asks them some questions because notice he was so paranoid and so overwhelmed with fear of losing power. Do you notice what the scripture says? That he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. That tells us the extent of his paranoia, his erratic behavior, his control. That when he was mad or he was upset, everyone was worried because nobody knew what he was going to do. I mean, this guy's kind of crazy. He could do anything. And so everybody walked on eggshells around him. He gathers those that know the prophecy of the Messiah in verses 4 through 9. And he asks them a very simple question. Hey, where's Messiah going to be born? Do you notice they answer without hesitation? There's no doubt. There's no confusion. And what do they say in the text? Where's the Messiah to be born? You can answer. Where's Messiah to be born? Micah 5, 2 prophesied seven to 800 years before Christ's birth said, yeah, Bethlehem is where he's going to be born. And they knew, they knew the exact place and location. Also something of note, why Bethlehem? Uh, If you've ever, I encourage you to study this on your own, maybe through the week, but look into it. Why Bethlehem? Because it's a connection to who? David. You see, David fell. 
David wasn't allowed to build the temple. David wasn't allowed to fulfill some things that he was hoping he could be a part of. And because of David's decisions and because of Solomon's decisions, the kingdom was divided. And there was division in Israel. And yet there's this one who comes, born of Bethlehem, in the line of David, who will bring restoration. Who will reunite this people. Who will reunite not only the Jews that put their faith and trust in Christ, but all peoples. Remember, all peoples can come. And there will be unity of God's creation where every tribe, tongue, language, background, none of it matters as far as keeping you out of heaven. All of it is included if you trust Christ. And we worship him and we praise him as one people. He's bringing restoration. Notice again that none of the religious experts go with the wise men, with the magi. They know where he's going to be born. These guys have seen the star, but none of them leave the palace. None of them travel with them. Why? Seemingly, they knew the word of God, but for whatever reason, did not believe the word of God. Herod says, when you find him, come and tell me that I may worship him. Now, obviously, we don't know this from the text directly. We, it's implied in the text. We know this more from extra-biblical things that are written about Herod. We also know later on in the text that this is the reason. It's not to worship, but it is to kill the child. It is to murder the child that has been born king of the Jews. God, in a dream, warns the wise men not to go back to Herod. And when they don't come back, Herod decides to take matters into his own hands. He gives a decree that all male children under the age of two in the area of Bethlehem and surrounding are to be killed. This is how desperate he was to not lose control, to not lose power. You see, Herod's response was based on the fear of losing control and power. The second type of response I want to look at this morning as we kind of move through this text is the response of Simeon. And Anna, Simeon and Anna. So go with me to Luke chapter 2 again. So you were in Luke chapter 2 already. Go back. So you're going back to the right in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 25. Again, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. Luke 2, 25. If you're not there yet, just hold your Bible open about, so there's about a third on this side and about, you know, the rest on this side and no one around you will know the difference. You'll be fine. Okay. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. What does that mean? The consolation of Israel, the restoration, the rescue They're looking forward to this one that will bring a unity with the Father and a unity with one another. It says the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he's been waiting his whole life to see this Messiah. He's been praying for it and seeking it. Eyes open. By the way, the Old Testament says that the Jewish people, the belie- those that believers in God, were supposed to look forward to his coming. That was something they were, should have been doing. Unfortunately, the, those wise in Scripture back in the palace, they apparently weren't looking as diligently as they should. But here's Simeon, and he's adamantly wanting to see the Christ child. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him that actually that will be a blessing that he will receive. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents sought in the child, I'm sorry, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law. So Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple. They're following the Jewish law. Goes on to say this in verse 28. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, if you just read too fast, you don't catch this. What just happened? Mary and Joseph are walking into the temple. Their, their child, right? Their younger child, they're coming in. Here's this man. They've never met this man before, right? Doesn't say they know him. And this man just sees Jesus. And it says he took him up in his arms. You know what he did? He basically snatched Jesus away from Mary and Joseph. Now, if you're new parents, are you okay with this? Are you like, yeah, sure, take my baby. That's fine, whatever, yeah, it's cool. I'll never forget one of the first times uh, we were here at church after Anthony, my oldest, was born. We dropped him off in the nursery because at that point I was like, here, someone else. No, I wasn't really. <laughs> See you in 45 minutes, kiddo. Good luck, okay? No, not really. Um, so we drop Anthony off in nursery, first parents. You know, we're already kind of on the edge of everything. It's like what's, dangers are everywhere, right? Like want to wrap your kid in bubble wrap, like please don't break, okay? Like, and so we go to the nursery after service and the lights are off. There's nobody in nursery. That's odd. It shouldn't be like that. So I go find Sandra, and I'm like, you don't have our child. Where's Anthony? And she looks at me, and she goes, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, there's about, you know, 300 people here. Any number of them, because it's taking them home. I don't know what's going on. So I look up, and I see Ann Rummery. Many of you know Ann and Dave Rummery. She's standing in the lobby with Anthony, just bouncing him up. I go up to Annie, and I was like, um, can, I have, can I have my son? Can I have my child back? She was like, oh, I didn't think you would mind. I just thought I would take him a little early, and we would just show him around. <laughs> sure, yeah, cool. It's fine. Yeah, just bring him back tomorrow, I guess. Have fun with him. <laughs> but that's what Simeon does. He just walks up. He just picks up Jesus and just starts proclaiming this amazing truth over him. Now, again, if it was you and I, it'd be a little weird. Have Mary and Joseph had the most normal life so far? I'd say probably not. I mean, you'd give birth to a child. Here comes a bunch of shepherds and stuff. We've been following the star for a long time, and we finally found you. And Mary's scripture, it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart often, because I think she just had to kind of take it all in. Like, this is, this is a lot to process. So here, Simeon picks up the small child, Jesus, and blesses God and says this, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Do you see again? Where's, you're catching the connection to the gospel? All people. See, Simeon is even understanding this. And how does he have this knowledge? Because he's given this by the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say in verse 32, A light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now we need to stop here. We're going to pick up Anna's story in just a moment here. But we can't let verse 35 go by without acknowledging all that Mary went through in all that happened to Christ at the cross. I mean, Simeon tells her, listen, he's going to be the one that brings about the rising of the nation of Israel. Like the Jews are going to rise. The Gentiles are going to rise in this man, Christ. But some will fall. And Jesus says that, right? 
You can either trip over the stone and make a decision about Jesus or the stone can crush you. It's your choice. So some are going to believe and some are not going to believe. But then he adds this in at the end. And I absolutely love that God has given Mary this small little glimpse. Mary, this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. You're going to watch your son be crucified for the sins of others. And he says, a sword is going to pierce through. That idea there in the original language means continually piercing. It's as though she's being stabbed over and over again. Not literally, but emotionally. She's being pierced through at what Christ is going to go through. So here we see Simeon's response to this coming Christ. He is overjoyed and he can physically see the Messiah before he dies. In fact, he declares that he is now fully content to depart this life. What an amazing moment for him to have spent much of his life, it seems, looking forward to the coming Messiah. Unlike, again, the religious leaders that were brought before Herod, Simeon did not just have a head knowledge of the coming of Christ, but a longing heart to be in his presence. Simeon also speaks of salvation in the present tense. Do you see that he says there? He says, I have seen thy salvation right now. It's fulfilled. Had Jesus gone to the cross yet? Had Jesus been buried and rose again? No. So how can Simeon say, no, it's, it's done. Your salvation is fulfilled. Because Simeon understood, if this is the Christ and he has come, he will go to the cross. He will die for our sins. He will save us from our sins. And he is saving us from our sins in just his mere act of coming to us. You see, the sacrifice of Christ is not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles or the non-Jews as well. Notice here, he declares that Jesus will shine a light to the Gentiles. This is said in the midst of the Jewish temple. The temple that was added onto by Herod so he could bolster his credibility among the Jewish people. This is said most likely on the steps of the temple, leading into a place where Gentiles were only allowed to go so far. They could not enter in like the Jews could deeper into the temple. And Simeon says, this one that's come, he's going to shine a light to the Gentiles. He's going to bring restoration to them and salvation to them. And among the Jewish people, they probably thought, the Gentiles? Those guys? They can't even enter into our temple. But again, Jesus is preparing a way for all to come to the Father. Again, we see Simeon is joyful. He's excited. He declares the praise of God's salvation. Let's look at Anna's response and then we'll close. Pick it up there, I believe in verse 36. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, so she kind of follows along with Simeon there. She's kind of right on the cusp of that. Says, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise. What does likewise imply to? Simeon's response, the way Simeon praised God. Gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law, this being Mary and Joseph, performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So here we see Anna's response as one of thankfulness and faithful witness. 
Anna, an older widow who, following her husband's death, literally dedicated her whole life to serving God in the temple. She was a faithful woman who loved the Lord and committed her life to him in fasting and prayers. She was most likely not recognized by the religious leaders as important or on equal footing with them, yet it is her that God reveals Christ as well. Notice also her witness of Christ. Who did she want to tell about this coming child? Not just the people she knew. It says anyone who was looking for the hope of Jerusalem, for the restoration of Israel, for this idea of salvation, anyone, she was telling them about the Christ child. I love this because it reminds us that no matter how others view us, God has a purpose and a plan for you. Other people may not see your strengths, your talents, your abilities. Some people may think less of you because of your past, because of what you struggle with currently. Let me remind you, God never condones sin, but he gives grace to overcome sin and have victory over sin so that you might serve him in a way that honors him and blesses others. Others may not get it. That's okay. It's not about them. She wasn't concerned about how other people took her testimony of Christ. She knew he's the Messiah. Everyone has to know. Why? Because it's for all people. Everyone needs to know. Again, what a foreshadowing of the ministry of Christ. When Christ walked among the people and we beheld his glory, John 1, 14, the glory of the only begotten of God. It, was the, it wasn't the religious elite that pursued after him and followed after him and wanted to humble themselves before him. It was the religious elite that fought against him at every turn. However, those that truly long for his appearing, genuine followers of God, surrendered to Christ as Lord. The castaways of society, the sinners and the broken, when confronted with their sin and a call to repentance, cried out for grace. And Christ rescued them in that immediate moment and placed them in his service. So my question for you this morning as we get ready to close in prayer is how will you and I respond to the news of the coming Christ? I love the performance this morning and the idea of a newscast kind of delivering the message of the coming of Christ. And by the way, I think in today's day and age, they would interrupt the, the birth of Christ for a cheesy commercial. I, I agree with that. If you ever tried to read a story on any kind of social media, you get tired of the ads, don't you? But here we see this declaring of the coming of Christ. And we have an opportunity to respond to the arrival of Christ either with an attitude of paranoia and fear, thinking if he really is who he says he is, if he really is born king, Lord and master, if he really is God in the flesh, second member of the Trinity, he's not a different manifestation of God. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. If he really is who he declared himself to be, who scripture declares him to be, and who the early followers of Christ described him to be, then that means I lose control. I surrender control. That means I cease to be my own God. I cease to be the ultimate authority in my life. If he really is who he is. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, that's fine. I don't believe he is who he says he was. That's your choice. God is graciously giving you breath in your lungs to conclude that and make that decision. He is so good to do so. But your lack of belief in something does not negate that belief as true. 
I can tell you, I don't believe in gravity. It's nonsense. It's just conspiracy theory, fake news, whatever else you want to say. I don't believe in it. But if I got on the building of this roof and said, I don't believe in gravity, and I jumped, the truth of gravity will kick in. (laughs) And I'll have one of two choices. I either hit the ground very, very hard and come to an awakening and going, huh, that's a thing. (laughs) Or I can continue to jump off the roof time and again and continue to be stubborn. And God says, that's the problem with humanity. Romans chapter one, you know the truth, but you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We know the truth. God gives us this ability to know there's someone out there. There's a creator God out there. And yet we suppress the truth. And he's so gracious to say, no, I'm giving you breath in your lungs and I'm blessing you with common grace. And you can come to me if you'll just receive by faith the salvation I offer. But Herod refused. I'm not giving up my control, my authority, my rights. I'm the boss of me. Or we can respond with an attitude of praise and thankfulness because Christ came to us. The light of God to shine into our hearts, the gospel made available to all people. And those that repent of their sin and trust Christ will be granted eternal life through salvation. We are not perfect. You're not perfect before you become a Christian, and you're not perfect after you become a Christian. We all struggle with sin. But we're journeying and striving to honor him in every way possible. So when we stumble and fall as a follower of Christ, we ask him for his grace again. And we say, Lord, would you forgive me for that? Not to be saved again, but to have a restoration of the relationship. He keeps us. Ephesians chapter 1. Man, what a beautiful picture of the Trinity and salvation. That God ordained salvation. Christ fulfilled the need of salvation by coming to the cross. And the Spirit of God is given to all believers that they might be sealed into the day of redemption. I don't keep my salvation. You don't keep your salvation. You never could. And that's why we needed grace. But praise God that even as a follower of Christ, when we stumble and we fall, we repent, we turn from our sin, and we look anew to Christ and say, Lord, would you keep me focused on you? Christ removed the veil of division, and whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God is inviting you and I to surrender to him this morning. Yes, you will have to humble yourself and see him as Lord, but I promise you from the word of God and personal experience that in Christ, that surrender brings greater freedom. I know, but, but, but I want to do what I want to do. That's fine. God will give you the grace to do that. And he'll let you make that choice. But then he's also going to allow you to make that choice throughout eternity when we're separated from him in a place called hell. God will not force his love upon you. He is inviting you into this relationship. And if you choose to reject him, that breaks his heart. Jeremiah chapter 2 talks about that breaking of God's heart. But he will give you the opportunity to either respond in faith or reject his gospel. And so my plea for you, Not because this Baptist church says it or this pastor says it or whatever, because the word of God declares it. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can reject that. You can say, I don't believe Jesus meant that. I don't believe Jesus, Son of God. Then you either have to look at it a couple ways. Either Jesus said that, I am the Son of God. I am the way into salvation and meant it and he's Savior and you need to submit to that. Or he didn't mean it. He was a lunatic and believed himself to be God and was not. And if he did not really mean that, he wasn't really the son of God, then he's a lunatic. He's not a good moral teacher. He's not a good person. And we shouldn't follow him in any way. So what's your choice? Did Jesus really mean I am the only way? Or was he just someone that was crazy and thought himself to be God? 
Your choice is between you and the Lord. Would you bow your head with me in a word of prayer? We're going to close our service in a word of prayer this morning. And again, as you begin to pray there and just seek the Lord, I want to thank you for being here today. I genuinely mean that. And I'm so thankful for if you're here today and you're a family member, a friend, a guest of maybe you attend another church locally and you came to support someone. Maybe you're not in church right now. Maybe you're kind of looking for a church. Maybe you haven't been to church in years. But you came this morning to support someone, to encourage someone. And I just want to say thank you for that. Because it makes a huge difference in the lives of these kids and these teens as they came and led us in this performance this morning. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then I'm just going to ask right there where you are, would you just begin to ask that question of the Lord? Just ask him, are you really who you said you were? Are you really Lord and Savior? Are you really king at your birth? And if you'd begin to seek him in prayer and reading through his word, I truly believe that he will begin to give you wisdom and understanding and call you to repentance by the working of the Spirit. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, then Christmas can be a great time of celebration, but maybe for you right now, there's something that's going on. A tragedy, a difficulty, something at work, something at home, something in a relationship. Maybe your own personal health. I don't know what it might be, but there's something right now that is pulling at that joy, trying to get you to to get your eyes off the Lord and put your eyes on the thing. I pray that you would endeavor, again, by only the working of the Spirit, by keeping our mind in the words, abiding in the word of Christ, that he would abide in us richly. And we would keep our mind on him and say, Lord, I know this is a real thing and I know it's, It's weighing on me, but I want to give it to you. I want to surrender to you. And I want to keep my eyes on you that I have the joy of Christ this season. We don't deny bad things happen. We don't ignore them. We invite them or we take them rather as under the invitation of God to bring them to his throne. We cast all our care to him because he cares for us. Heavenly Father, we can ask if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as a Lord and personal Savior, whether in this room or watching online, that they would begin to consider begin to ask themselves those questions and repent and turn from their sins. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've been. You extend your love and grace to them. And if they will call out to you and repent, just turn from their sin and believe by simple faith, you can save them. And so, Father, would you do that saving work today as we continue to worship you? Father, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for all that we've been a part of. And we praise you and lift you up. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you again for being here today. Uh, honestly, it's hugely, hugely important to these kids and the teens to have you here. So thank you for that. If you are not part of a local church this Christmas season, we would love to have you join us again next week. Come on out. We would love to have you 1030 a.m. next week as well. And so again, thank you for being here today. Have a great afternoon. We will have service tonight, 6 o'clock. For those that are interested, come on back tonight, 6 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you then. Have a great afternoon. And again, Merry Christmas.